1: Australian bars,
2: titty discs,
1: and that's what to be known as from now on. I'm gonna go into the Marvel Wikipedia and whatever it is. (laughs) Get better than that. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you
0: read them? Hey guys, welcome back to another star-spanning episode of Comics. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey, what's up, guys? This is Derek. Derek wc i'm going to be one of your i don't know lieutenants commanders captains for this evening and i am joined tonight by my fellow alternate universe fan halls why don't you guys give a shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight by the power of earl Skull, it's mike
1: and this is justin
0: Alright, so we are here, we're doing a comics episode, and we are doing a Stories from the Spinner Rack, and as Justin and myself are the... The most apt to have spinner rack stories from Star Trek era of comics. The last time we did one of these, we were doing a original series themed episode with comics from that era, but we also kind of thought it might be fun to do a spinner rack episode with comics from the next generation era. So myself and Justin picked out some next generation comic books to discuss tonight. And Mike is kind enough to be here to join us because I know he is a, he is a proponent of the next generation. He is a next generation friendly fan hall. So it, we figured it'd be fun to talk about these issues with him. And uh, I guess without further ado, uh, my issue is the oldest in the, the, the pair the couple of issues that we have this evening, and it is Star Trek The Next Generation issue number three. I guess technically this is considered volume one, but it's just a six-issue mini-series before they started like the ongoing Star Trek The Next Generation volume at DC Comics. The cover date is April 1988, but the on-sale date, according to Mike's Amazing World, is January 5th, 1988. The cover price is a whopping dollar. The page count is 32, editor is Robert Greenberger, writer is Mike Carlin, penciler is Pablo Marcos, inker is Carlos Garzon, inker and star, letterer Robert M. Pinaha, colorist Carl Gafford, it's 22 pages, it is titled Q Factor. And in case anybody was interested, it is reprinted in the Star Trek The Next Generation Beginnings trade paperback from 1995. And I'll go ahead and give a brief synopsis, and then Justin, Mike, and myself will discuss. Tasha Yar and Wesley Crusher are playing some pseudo-laser tag throughout the decks of the Enterprise when they get busted by Captain Jean-Luc Picard, after Jean-Luc admonishes them both for their childish behavior. Tasha recalls how little she had the opportunity to play as a child growing up on the failed Earth colony, Turkana IV. Later, Picard calls Tasha to the bridge, where she is quickly brought up to speed that the ship has encountered an unidentified alien, vessel. Worf cannot pick up any sensor readings, but Deanna Troi insists that there are life Forms, lovely little life forms, where are you aboard? Although Picard has Commander Riker assemble a landing party to inspect the ship, his suggestion to bring along Data and Geordi is halted at Troy's command. Aboard the ship, the party is attacked and takes out security officers Gibson and Han. Once Yar and Riker find their comrades unconscious, what appears to be an invisible being begins to attack and then strangle Commander Riker. Tasha Yar refuses to fire upon the assailant out of fear of injuring Commander Reich. When the assailant becomes visible as a shadowy figure, Tasha screams out at the being in horrified recognition. The crew are immediately beamed back aboard the Enterprise at Troy's command, and the away team is taken to sickbay by Dr. Crusher and Troy. While Captain Picard tries to make sense out of all this, he receives a visitation by the most unwelcome of guests, Hugh. Q tries to convince Picard that the crew of the alien, Wessel, are evil and that he should waste no time in obliterating them. Q's constant badgering irritates Picard and he makes it clear Q is no longer welcome on the Enterprise. Moments later, the alien Wessel fires on the Enterprise. The ship takes a direct hit to the lower decks, and Picard orders the saucer section to separate from the battle bridge and to fire photon torpedoes at the alien Wessel. As this occurs, an energy source appears to exit the alien Wessel and appears before Wesley Crusher on board the saucer section. While Wes is on the way to inform Commander Riker, he tells his mother just in time to witness Tasha awake in sickbay, screaming out, He's found me! Troy also senses Tasha's intense fear as a pair of enormous cloud-like hands grab onto the saucer section, diverting its intended course. Meanwhile, back on the battle bridge, the alien Wessel is now disabled, but Q continues to goad Picard into attacking the defenseless Wessel. Ultimately, Data receives a communication from the alien Wessel from some pink-skinned humanoids who had found their way onto the enemy ship but had no idea how the ship functioned. Additionally, Picard learns that these humanoids made a special arrangement with Q, one that would have afforded them great wealth and respect had they defeated the Enterprise. Q, however, has not held up his end of the bargain. While Picard surmises that Q is the one who has failed the Q Continuum, Lieutenant Data informs the captain that they have lost track of the ship's saucer section. Q takes no responsibility for the missing saucer section, but insinuates that the Q Continuum has been watching, and now they are all to be judged. To be Continued. And that is the synopsis for Star Trek The Next Generation, issue number three. So I guess I'll, I'll start it off. I, I assume, Justin, you have read this before. Is that is that a correct assumption?
1: You are incorrect, sir. Oh, ooh,
0: all right. So this is the first time you've read this? hmm Yeah, I've okay. actually
1: never read this miniseries at all. Like, okay. I, think, I think these were a little pricey on the back market like this oh, first movie series okay, i think okay. i think that's why i never had them or even read them
0: i don't remember because for me i think I'm, I'm trying to think but this this issue was in that this is the fabled trade lot like like the the lot of that i consider spinner at comics where i took spinner at comics and traded them for other quote-unquote spinner at comics so this this was part of that same lot in the trade where i got this issue and i think I, I i one of the reasons why i was attracted to it was that i knew q was involved because to me like q was a obviously a standout star trek the next generation villain he was you know one of the important big bads and everything and i feel i feel like we we have this back ended pretty well because we're dealing with two of the most important big bads in all of the next generation, right? So so there 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 shouldn't be lack of interest in this. I mean, I could understand if it was just, you know, I don't know, some some kind of low level, you know, one off villain that barely appears in one episode that is the subject of a comic book where you're like, Oh, it's it's not that you know, I don't know, it's it's uh it's the what's his face from Star Trek Two who was like, you know, snorting the drug or whatever, if they brought him back for a a comic book or whatever, you'd be like, oh, okay, this isn't that exciting. But, you know, when you're dealing with Q, you're like, okay, you, you know, as Justin likes to say, if you're dealing with Q, you have my attention, you know? Mm. So there's that, there's that aspect to it. Yeah. But I, I mean, I guess I never thought of it as like an expensive back market issue. I think just because I had always had it, I guess, in, in a trade. So I, I didn't, I, well, I don't, I mean, technically I didn't really pay any money for it, you know, cause it was in a trade, but I don't think I ever, kind of noticed it being on like a, I don't know, like, you know, how they, in the comic specialty shops, you know, they'd have like the wall books. Like to me, this was never, I don't know. I, I had never noticed these as like wall books or anything like that.
1: It just seemed like every time I was at like a toy show or a comic shop or something like they were like, I don't know, 10 or $15 books. And mm, I just didn't really yeah, yeah, to yeah. that much at the time.
0: They're, they're not worth 10 or $15. I mean, yeah, yeah. One, $1 is good enough, you know?
1: Is it just me or the guy on the cover that's zapping Picard? Like, when I first saw that guy, I was like, "Oh, Picard's fighting like one of the weaponeers from Quard or something." <laughs> that's totally he what look I, like yeah, that?
0: yeah, totally look. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe Q is taking the outfit of the Weaponer of <laughs> Quard. Like, because that's kind of the deal with this. It's like that's all they really knew about Q based on like the pilot. So it was like, I, I don't know. And then part of it's kind of like, I mean. I think I think Pablo Marcos tries to do a good job of of clueing you in on who is supposed to be who, but I, I I think Q I don't know if he just didn't have John Delancey reference or something, but like that that's the one person where you'd think, oh, he's in a different outfit every other panel. You you'd think you'd want to nail his likeness so you could follow the transitions and I think I don't know I mean it could just be me but I, I feel like that that was not successful.
2: Yeah I, I I definitely didn't peg that as Q like on the cover Okay, like, I was like oh yeah, yeah. this is funny ass guy like standing on the like you know the front console and I was like ah stop shooting me with that <laughs> laser beam. Like,
0: okay. Okay. Yeah that's that's I think yeah I I, I think that's true because I don't think you immediately would recognize that Q is on the cover,
1: yeah. You know what I really liked about this issue, like, I, I feel like I feel like Tasha gets more characterization here than in her entire time on the series.
0: You, you know what's funny about that is that that was one of my notes. Is uh, and I, I I think it's cool that you you view that in a positive light because of how uh, I don't know. Like, <laughs> anytime I, I I talk with with friends about Tasha Yar or like any kind of aspect of that first season. I mean, to me, it's like, it's like one of those things where there's this, I, I don't know if it's spoken out loud by, you know, uh, you know, quote unquote nasty fans like ourselves, or if it's just whispered in hushed secrets or whatever, like, especially in, in today's day and age where, you know, it's kind of like one of those things where, you know, I, I feel, I feel like the way this was written for Tasha, giving her the spotlight is something that, would be looked at favorably, especially today, even though I think the the writing in this issue was more naturalistic rather than, you know, shoehorned or forced or anything like that, right? But then the, the other thing is, like, I think a lot of the stuff in this comic is, it, it it's that weird, fun, like, I don't know, in-between era where, like, the writers haven't completely figured out all the characters yet. So I was like laughing at stuff where it's like, I, I think Mike Carlin was trying to make Pronto a thing. <laughs> Cause it's like, they hadn't landed on the whole, you know, make it so, or whatever, or at least the writers that were writing this comic hadn't figured out that make it so was like Picard's, you know, engage, make it so that that, that those were his taglines. Right. Cause they didn't, I don't think they knew all that yet. So it was like, it was funny reading like issues of this. And it's like, like, Picard, like, when he gives an order, he, he's like, all right, go and beam down to the planet and do it pronto, you know? And I'm like, you would, he
2: would <laughs> say pronto. I was just going to mention, like, I noticed that, too, and I was kind of, like, I even joked to you guys earlier. I was like, why is, like, Troy, like, Starhawk or something? She's like, like,
0: no, you must do it this way. Like, accept the word of one who knows. Like, well, that, that's what's funny, too, is I, I was like, what, is is Counselor Troy the captain? Like, because, like, she literally, like, gives gives orders sometimes like on the ship because it was like when when they're going to beam down like she literally was i think riker's like can we can we bring jordi and data because they've been they've been pretty solid on away missions i feel pretty good if they they came with us and picard's like hmm yes they have proven themselves before pronto guys you know make it so or whatever right and and then as they're getting up to leave then Captain like no no, I know you must stay here and take some other red shirts with you instead. It's just like, okay, the counselor said it. I can't. It's like what Picard can't countermand. Like he made a command decision, but because like, the fucking counselor said something, he can't do anything about it. Like I don't know. It's just like stuff like that is like cracking me up. But yeah, the the focus on on Yar was pretty heavy, and I, I kind of feel like, in a way, like the focus on Troy and Wesley at least in this issue, outweighed any focus on like, like Data, Geordi, and Worf, and even Riker to a degree, were not, I mean, they were almost off to the side, which is kind of interesting, because that's, that's without pre-knowledge of, you know, because this is like, you know, basically based on the pilot, so it's like, it's almost without knowledge of where the series was heading, so it's interesting that they sort of you know, they're taking a gamble and betting on some of these characters, and if you look at the history of it, like, they, they kind of they kind of made the wrong gamble, or at least, you know, I guess in Justin's case, he, he views it as a positive, because it's like, oh, look, we actually get some some decent characterization for Tasha, like, you get to find out a lot about her backstory, like, there's a little flashback where she kind of looks like Ilana Rasputin, or whatever, Ilana, and, 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 like, she's, you know, on the... Uh, what do you call it? Uh, Turkana four, you know, and and you, you get some of that where that, you know, like some of the later issues reveal like who the shadowy figure is and and his ties to Tasha and all that kind of stuff. But like, I don't know, there's just funny stuff in this where it's like, it reminds me of like when, you know, it's like the DC star Trek original series comic where they didn't know that the, Star Trek Two was gonna flow right into Star Trek Three and Three was gonna flow into four, you know, so like they have all this kinda interesting, you know, their their own stories in between it. Or or when they were writing stories in between, like, say, you know, Star Wars and Empire and and they didn't quite have like the the pre knowledge of the whole family line, like the brother sister stuff and the father son stuff with like Vader and Luke. So like there are some sort of I don't know, you just, you just catch things that seem odd every once in a while. we're like, you know, who knows, Leia's smooching with Luke, and you're like, hey, that's kind of weird or whatever, like, that kind of thing. But it's, like, it, it's kind of the same thing where, like, there's issues where, like, Data cries, and he gets, like, mad, and, like, attacks people and stuff, and they're like, Mr. Data just doesn't know how to deal with his emotions. And I'm like, he doesn't have any fucking emotions, but okay. You know, like, they, they just didn't know that yet, right? Or, or, like, there's a there's a weird scene where, like, and later in the miniseries, I think, q accidentally shoots Jordy, and Jordy's like on his deathbed and so like of course that's why data's crying and mad and stuff but then wesley actually says well you know we'll pray to god for geordie and i was just kind of like wow like that's that's nothing that would have ever been on like yeah. a gene roddenberry show you know what i mean like 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 and 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 i just found it like yeah, and then to me, like I'll be upfront, like I don't find anything wrong with that. Like I, I mean, I think it's fine. But it was just interesting, like going, like man, Rottenberry. If especially if Wesley was the, as as it's been often been said, if, if Wesley was supposed to be this, uh, you know, wh- what do you call it when the writer, you know, imprints themselves on a character or whatever. But if if he was supposed to be the you know the the self insert, yeah, the self insert for Roddenberry or whatever, like like that. Wesley would have, you know, Wesley as Roddenberry would have never said, "Dude, it's cool data." We'll pray to God, like like that never would have happened, you know. So I I found all that stuff kind of interesting, and yeah, I'm talking about stuff that's like not in the actual issue, but I'm just trying to give like context for like the the way this miniseries was because it's in an era that sort of they you know i don't know to me it's 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 fascinating and fun just to see like either how how wrong they got it or or you know just things that they didn't know and nobody told them so they were just trying to figure it out and they inserted some decisions that just didn't quite pan out as all you know
2: i I was kind of like thinking even picard like he seemed to get really, like hostile with Q, like oh, really, yeah, yeah, yeah. like fast, like and you know he was like shouting at him and shit. And well, like...
0: well, that's my that's my joke. I want to, I'm like, I want to make a meme now because you know, you know the famous moment where you know Q shows up on Deep Space Nine and then Cisco decks him and he's like. You hit me, you know. Picard never hit me, and he's like, "I'm not Picard." Wow! And and that's that's what he says, right? And 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 in this, like, he in this issue, he actually like lunges at Q and is like, "You miserable!" Like, I almost thought to me, I was like, "I." I the, the way they made it sound, he didn't say this, but like they cut off the line. But I thought, I thought Picard was about to be like. You miserable son of a bitch, get off my shit. You know, like, like that's what it felt like he was going to say. And then what's funny is if you, if you read the following issue, because Q's in like the next, he, he has a little mini arc in this mini series. He's in issues three, four, and five. And like now I'm like, I want to make a meme where it's like, you know, Q saying Picard never hit me. And there's actually like a panel of Picard straight up decking Q like, in in the next issue, so, like, that's, I I do find that kind of hilarious as far as, like, you know, how wrong they got it or how off it was or whatever, and, you know, so there's, there's stuff like that, like, I was just making jokes, because, like, th- there's this one panel, it's on page 13, panel 2, and it's, like, when the Enterprise gets hit, it looks like they lost artificial gravity to me, although I don't think that's what was intended to to be the context in the story but like it looks like Jordy's like floating around in 0g or oh, something yeah, yeah,
1: I see you that. know like
0: yeah. like how how they're just kind of like you know I don't know but like it looks funny to me and like the other thing that i noted that i thought was funny is so riker gets hurt and then on that next page right after the 0g panel like i was like Dude, like you talk about Doctor Who having something for the fathers. I'm all, dude, man, <laughs> they had something for the ladies in that panel with Commander Riker. He's zipping up in Troy's uh, sick bay. I'm like, wow, wow. <laughs> you know, like, cause I was like, what's up with that? It's like he's in like a little diver suit and stuff. I was like, do, do, do those, I'm like, am I wrong? Like, cause th- this is something I don't nerd out about. I'm like, Gene Hendrix would totally know about this, but like, is that how those original uniforms zipped up and zipped down? Do those, do those uh-huh. actually work
1: that way? Yeah. yeah okay. Do you remember in the second episode when they're under the, the little virus that was on the original Oh, series, right, right, right. And then like and they're... Like, Crusher unzips, and she's like, I've right. never been. She's like, I haven't been oh, okay. with a man in so long. Okay. John Luke." And yeah, she starts, like, rubbing her chest and unzips her uniform, and you're kind of like, this is uh, a little uncomfortable. Like, so know. this is
0: And so, like, Crusher's getting one back because she gets a little Riker action in the sick day, pretty much, right?
1: What's weird about that is, like, you know, Roddenberry has this thing about religion. He also had this thing about the uniforms. He didn't want to see any zippers, mm. but they, they allowed that on screen. And I always thought that was kind of weird because he was like, no zippers. And then you see her like clearly unzipping her uniform down a bit.
0: I guess I guess I fell for the zipper hype because that's why I was like, <laughs> I was like is, are there zippers? Like what's going on? But yeah, that's it.
2: I was in that vein. I was just going to take, like one thing I took note of is, is the art, which is great. But I, I feel like everyone was given like standard like superhero proportions because yeah, like mm, even mm. even Picard looked like he mm-hmm. was like jacked like and like I like I was even like like Tasha I was kind of like she's kind of curvier than normal like when she was like you know like playing with Wesley at the beginning and I was kind of and like all the the men yeah were kind of had like defined muscles through their like uniforms and I was kind of like well that's kind of weird like for Star Trek at least but. I...
0: I could be wrong, but I, I, and I can't prove it, but I, I just, I have this weird feeling in the back of my brains that like, I think some of the art in this was either inspired or maybe homaged or swiped from like Neil Adams stuff. Like I, I don't know. There's, mm. there's, there's like panels and covers later on where I'm like looking at it and go, I, I kind of recognize that from somewhere, but I can't quite like put my finger on it. But I mean, I, I, I don't know, does that sound, like, completely out of left field, or do you think the art in this has sort of, like, a Adam's influence or Adam's tinge to it? I could see that. I don't know, I just, I I feel like there's stuff like that that was going on. Like, like the other thing that's interesting is, like, you know, sometimes, and I, I don't know if this was a Roddenberry thing or not, but I feel like on the show, for the most part, like they tried to keep everybody in their uniforms for the most part. I mean, yeah, you had, you know, the holodeck shit and Vixen Hill stuff, and they get dressed up in, like, period costumes and all that stuff. But it's, like, they didn't often dress in, quote-unquote, wh- whatever the modern fashion of the Federation was, if that makes any sense. I don't feel like that happened very often. And usually when it did, it was kind of funky looking or whatever. But, like, I, I think in some, some other issues in this miniseries, there's, like, I think they go to like, I want to say it's like a Christmas thing or something. And like they, they all get dressed up, but it's like, you know, they're, they're out of uniform. So it's like counselor Troy looks like fricking Talia or something from like, you know, uh, you know, Neil Adams, you know, she's got like a, I don't know, like this kind of, I don't know. I can't, I can't describe it, but like the seven voyages of Sinbad kind of like, you know, I don't know. Uh, uh you know, Indian looking like garb or whatever with this dress. That's like, you know, like, like, I don't know, like uh uh Marian Ravenwood or some shit in the middle of the desert. You know what I mean? And it's just like, Oh, that's weird. Like, they, you know, and they, they, they had all these different kind of, I guess, you know, non-military uniforms and stuff, which, which I found interesting because I, I felt like, Oh, you don't see those characters outside of uniform all that much, but they, you know, I guess because they had the, you know, the the pencil budget to do it. I mean, I assume that's why the the saucer section separates from the battle bridge so much in the comics, right? Like it it's kind of you know I not, you know future spoilers, but this is not the last time we're going to be talking about the the uh, saucer section separating from the battle bridge, right? Like so, and, and it seems like that didn't happen very often on the actual TV show, but it seems like maybe it happened a whole lot more in the comics.
2: Yeah, I I, I kind of noted that too. Where I was kind of like, man, like the saucer section, like separated. I thought that was only in like super dire situations, and I mean, I guess it was, but it it just seems like that that could happen more often in a comic where the budget
0: isn't like a concern.
1: Yeah, I think they only did that three times on the series. Because
0: I mean, they definitely did it in Encounter at Farpoint, and then and then
1: they did it in arsenal of freedom that's the one where laforge is like in charge and they're uh, okay. fighting those little those they're fighting those weird little like floating drone things on the planet surface and there's also like one attacking the ship and and then um i guess the next one is like uh best of both worlds part two yeah and then the last time would be in generations okay
0: so I, I don't know if you had any questions about this but there are some original characters to the miniseries series. They're called, they, you probably wouldn't have noticed them because they're just in the background and they don't really have their own moment in this issue, but they are featured a little more prominently throughout the miniseries. But there are two Starfleet officers, and they're known as the Bickleys because they're a married couple. And I don't know if they were trying to comment on you know, the way in the, uh, the Next Generation, how it was supposed to be a, a ship you know, that had families on it and civilians and all that kind of stuff. But like, it it was almost like they were playing it for laughs where the wife and the husband would come up to the bridge and take the consoles and everything, take their shift. And then they'd start fighting with each other over the consoles and Picard would be like, now, now, keep your family shit down in your quarters like i need you to fly this thing or whatever and it's like and picard would have all these inner monologues about ah the good old days where there wasn't a husband and wife at the helm you know or whatever like shit like that and like like i i I, the only way i could like identify is if you notice them they're like really really pink and they have no pants
1: I noticed those people in the background. I was like, looks like they're like wearing a uniform. It's like <laughs> there's no pants, or it's like swimwear or something. I did yeah. notice that. Yeah.
0: So, so they they are Starfleet officers. When okay. I looked when I looked it up, I was like convinced. I'm like, they must be an alien species, right? And. A, According to the the memory alpha, they're human. But I'm like, I don't know, no God. This is the other thing I was going to take issue with. I'm like the the Bickleys, and and then of course these what I refer to in my own synopsis as humanoids. Like, because I'm like, I'm not convinced any of those guys are human because they look way too fucking pink to be human to me. Like, but apparently. They're, they're human. So like even, even these guys on the, the ship that were working with Q, and th- that's another thing that seems, I'm going to say it, it seems sus, right? Because they seem to tell two different stories, right? Like the first story is the, the pink skinned humanoids say, one, this is story one. They didn't know how to use the alien ship, and their leader abandoned them. So that's why they were shooting on the Enterprise and all because they were they were pushing buttons at random. They didn't know how it worked, and they accidentally shot them. Right, but then when they beam over, then, then all of a sudden it's like, "Q, we, you were supposed to, def- we were supposed to defeat the Enterprise, and you were supposed to make us rich and respected." So I'm like, "Wait a minute." Like, which, which one is it? Like, you, you, you were abandoned by your leader and you didn't know? Or you did know and you made this arrangement with Q and you mentioned nefarious pink skin assholes. Like, so I'm like, I don't know which one it is, but I'm like, I, I think it's number two, but you know, I, I, I just, I felt like it was contradictory and, and just, you know, getting back to the Bickleys, it's like, I feel like they were shaded in the same way as those other humanoids where you're like looking and going, man, these guys like are really, really pink. You know what I mean? Like, like I, like, like princess bubblegum fucking pink. You know what I mean? Like, no, no human being. I'm I'm just trying to find a way in an audio medium to describe it. Like, like they were, they were really, they were really fucking pink. Okay. So like, that's, that's just one of those things where I was like, come on, like these, these guys cannot be, cannot be human beings, but apparently according to memory alpha, they are. I don't know if if this is, I'll just say it because it's probably worth just because I'm sure people have questions, but The subplot with Troy does not get resolved until the following issue. The shadowy figure, the reason why he was invisible is because he has a personal cloaking device. So it's, like, not a cloaking device that cloaks the ship, but it, like, cloaks his person, I guess. And that's why he's, quote-unquote, invisible and beating the shit out of Riker and all those other poor, you know, uh, I guess, gold shirts or whatever. And his name is, who knows if I'm even pronouncing this right, but it's Reglech Dupru. So I guess it's R-E-G-L-E-C-H-D-apostrophe-P-R-U. And apparently he is also from Turkana and And it, it seems like the backstory between him and Tasha is even... Like more, I mean, you know, she briefly goes into it in in her backstory in this issue that that it was not a a happy place to grow up, that she was surrounded by enemies, and you know, one of those enemies was this guy. But he he has this twisted kind of I don't know, lovesick feeling for her. Like, but it's not I you know I don't I don't want to degrade the word love, but it's like it's like he thinks he loves her, but really in reality he you know, abused her and, and, and treated her quite badly when she was on that colony, you know, and it seems like that's what happened to, to any female colonist that was on that colony, but it seems like, you know, in his twisted mind, he, he thinks he, he showered her with affection, but his affections were, you know, unwanted and unneeded, so of course that was, you know, clearly more abuse than it was love, but that, that's, in his twisted mind, he, he thought that he was, you know. I don't know, showering her with affection and, and why, you know, basically like, why did you run away from me, Tasha? You know, and all this other kind of crazy, you know, Betty Cooper level cray cray nonsense, but from, from this cloaked, you know, shadowy figure or whatever. So that's, that's the ultimate, I guess, resolution of, of what was going on with that. So I guess I'm, I'm curious, you, you read this issue for the first time tonight. Like, based on this, do you have any other interest in reading the other issues of it, Justin?
1: Yeah, I may go back and do that. I didn't for this episode, but I may do that. Did you have every episode of this miniseries? Like when you were growing In up?
0: In the trade, I had issue three, and then I think later I got like some of the other issues. Like I don't think I don't think I had all six issues though. Like mm. like like I said to to you guys earlier. Like I, I mean, I I was I was saying to Mike before. I'm like you know I I sort of already admitted uh, I sort of already admitted my uh, my the next generation you know, comics foo is, is pretty weak. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not, it's not as strong as the original series. Like, I've read, I, I would say I've read a lot of the original series comics, but I, I, I can't say with impunity, like, like, to be honest, what we're going to talk about next, like, that, that was the first time I read that. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's like, I, I think I want to say I had issue one and issue three and then maybe like the Q stuff. So then maybe like four and five, but I might have been missing like a couple issues. Kind of like the Man of Steel, but I just never, I never filled in all of them or whatever. But like what well, one and two are kind of like standalone, like done in ones, and then three, four, and five kind of are all Q based, and then six is its own little thing. But I, I think you'd find that interesting too, because there's some ties to like they, they, they were trying to do something where they tied a couple of the races to like original. Star Trek stuff, so, so there's, Mm. there's some interesting things there, you know, I mean, it's, again, like, like I was describing about this third issue, it's, it's a little, they're, they're flying by the seat of their pants, they, they don't quite know all the rules yet, so it's, it's fascinating to see them, like, surf the wave and crash, even though they, like, you know, they, they can't hold the wave the whole time, but it's still fun to see them get up and try, you know?
2: Yeah, like, I, I've, I've, I think I've had one Star Trek comic my entire comics collecting career and it was it was a next generation one but damned if I can remember what it was and like 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 honestly like the only thing I remember about it was there was an ad for Nightfall in it and that's what like what I remember about it I was like oh cool that looks cool like Batman's gonna fight all his villains and like, like in shit, like, that's awesome, but I don't remember what the Star Trek comic
0: was. <laughs> you know, you know it's bad when you remember the ads, but not the actual Star right? Do you guys have anything else on this this particular issue, like, any other impressions, or, or like, I, I guess one thing I asked Justin, and I'll ask you, like, ba- based on reading this issue, do you have any uh, interest in reading the other issues in the six-issue miniseries, Mike? I mean I would
2: i'm not, I'm not gonna seek them out, but like i mean i I would read them like if we decided to basically ah, ah,
0: I see I see okay okay well i I mean I think I'm good, I guess what we'll do here is we'll we'll cut to a commercial break, and then when we come back, we're gonna talk about the comic that Justin brought for us to read, and of course it is another Star Trek the Next Generation issue, so stay tuned for that Star Trek comic books mythology
2: video games toys Star Wars just about any geeky topic you can think of could be covered on the hammer
0: podcast presented by two true freaks come join me Gene Hendricks for whatever my
2: disjointed mental processes can come up with. And be careful, or you might just learn something before we're done. The Hammer Podcast is available monthly, both on its own iTunes feed and at 2TrueFreaks.com.
0: All right, we are back. We're back again. We were just discussing an issue of the Star Trek The Next Generation miniseries, the six-issue miniseries. And on the back half, we have another issue of Star Trek The Next Generation that Justin brought for us tonight from the spinner racks of Justin's youth. So why don't you let us know what issue we're discussing and give us a little
1: synopsis, and then we can all discuss it. I brought Star Trek The Next Generation, issue number 50. The worst of both worlds, part four, and death shall have no dominion. This has a cover date of September 1993, cover price, was a whopping, wallet-busting $3.50, and this was written by Michael Jen Friedman and illustrated by Peter Krauss. Continuing from the previous issue, in an attempt to capture Locutus of Borg, both versions of Worf are caught in a blast, with the alternative Worf dying. As in Best of Both Worlds Part 2, they take Locutus to Data's lab and he connects to the Borg Hive Mind. Meanwhile, growing frustrated with the lack of progress, the alternate Shelby, in command of our Enterprise, orders the ship back to Earth. Alternate Wesley refuses and alternate Chief O'Brien is forced to stun her. The Enterprise returns in time to save the other Enterprise, and Picard is finally able to produce the command code to disable the Borg. As the Enterprise speeds back to the Rift, they find the Alternative O'Brien has disguised himself as the real one. They're able to talk him down, and the Enterprise crosses the Rift and returns to its proper universe. So this is something I bought at, I think, Walden Books in the mall, and... Like I said, in our previous Star Trek comics mofo, like I didn't buy the TNG series as often as the original series, but I was perusing comics one day and I saw the cover of issue 47, which is you know part one of this story. And I kind of picked it up and I was like, at first I thought they were doing like a mirror universe thing. And then I was like, I ended up buying it and reading the thing because I was so curious. And I was like, oh, it's not mirror universe. It's just like an alternate reality where They didn't defeat Locutus in Best of Both Worlds Part Two, So, like, that's why I have, like, you know, where that's why I bought, you know, issues 47, 48, 49, and 50, because, like, I was hooked on that storyline, you know? Any kind of, like, alternate reality where, you know, things are going bad, like, I kind of like that. I know Mike kind of likes that thing, too. But, yeah, this is something I have fond memories of, and, like, I really like this cover. It's a really nice, like, kind of painted cover, although, like, I think Shelby's likeness is not that great, but like I, I, don't know, I think it's a, a really nice painted cover. And like I said, like the, you know, it's it, it's three dollars and fifty cents, which today is you know, probably, you know, standard for most comics. But back then, you're just like, oh man, like I could have bought like you know, two comics or you know something for that much. But yeah, this is a comic I enjoyed when I was growing up. And you you said you had not read this, Derek? Is that right?
0: No, this was this was the first time I read it. It's funny. I read I read issue fifty in preparation for this, and then I went back and read like forty seven through forty nine to give myself some context. But I figured but, you would do that. Yeah. But uh, but like it was fun like reading it and trying to like keep up with like oh okay I get what's going on like and, and like yourself you're like oh is this is this a mirror universe thing and then you're like no no it's 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 just an alternate universe where the Borg you know the Borg won and it, you know it, it's almost like the uh it's like the Earth X of Star Trek the Next Generation, you know, what if the Nazis won? It's like what if what if the Borg won, right? And and you've got, you know, Riker with his little uh, uh you know cyber eye as the Uncle Sam like kind of hanging on and everything, and I was I was cracking up too because I'm like, dude, I know why Justin likes this cuz Riker's wearing the Picard bomber jacket. Like that's why that's why he likes this comic or whatever. <laughs> but I was I was I was like, this is this is fun. Like I I enjoyed I enjoyed reading it and I kind of got into it everything i laughed my ass off when they locked up commander shelby i thought that was funny and 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 then there there's a lot of cool nods in this because they they really do take to heart like the i guess they they you know pinpointing the best of both worlds as the 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 linchpin of where the divergence occurs you know because they really try to hit home like like one thing i thought was kind of clever is like oh you know Argyle is still like the chief engineer yeah. or whatever. So it's like, it's like pre Jordy getting his promotion, right? And I was kind of like, Oh, okay. Like that's, that's a cool and interesting way to isolate it and everything, you know, and, and, and the way they figure out that O'Brien is, I guess, not the real O'Brien at the end. Like there's, there's a little code that that he sends the the real o'brien sends the picard that he would have only known after the best of both worlds you know so you've got like a lot of those aspects that you know make things interesting i mean you know in in the larger scheme of the story like i i think i think that this issue on its own is it's interesting i think i gave us an issue that was like the first part of a q arc and then you had us read the the dramatic conclusion of a four part borg arc which are both kind of cool but it's like i think i i don't know that i had the full context of the Wharf thing cuz it kind of opens with it and it's like no alternate warf is dead and i'm like who's alternate warf you know like, <laughs> like like that was kind of like that was kind of <laughs> like my thought at first and then when i went back and read some of the the previous issues it was, it was fun because they, they have a nice conversation with one another. And at first, you know, alternate warfs like, you know, fuck you, bro, you don't get me, I'm, I'm dishonored, and I left my captain and, you know, we couldn't rescue him. And I, I thought about killing myself over it. But then instead I thought, you know, the best the best vengeance is to, you know, to to recover my captain and screw over the borg and all that stuff and and you know the our wharf you know the 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 proper timeline wharf is just kind of like i do understand more than you know because if i hadn't saved our captain i would have been you know just as messed up and guilt ridden as you you know and he's like maybe you do understand me you know and it's like they they kind of have this nice it's funny you you, you it's like you know only wharf would think he couldn't understand himself, you know what I mean? Like, like, but yet they have this, they have this little, you know, interesting conversation with one another. And, and, and I think that, you know, makes that sequence when, when, when it hits, you know, then it's like, Oh, well, he's, he's fulfilled, you know, alternate war fulfilled his arc because he, he, he died fighting to save his captain. And that's exactly how he would have wanted to go out, you know, and they, they, they do play a bit with the, I mean, it's not the mirror universe, but they do play a bit with the angle that, I mean, in some sense, it reminds me as much as something like Star Trek The Next Generation, which is typically the epitome of the ideal situation, you know, the, the you know, utopian situation for humanity. They, they do play as much as they can with like sort of a walking dead type scenario where these people are hounded and hunted so much by the Borg. Like you, you, you get the notion that, Riker's had to make a lot of questionable decisions. At some point, he's almost, like, threatening Worf with, like, you know, phaser punishment. You know, there's there's the aspect that, like, you know, Geordi, you know, it's supposed to be ironic, I guess. You know, Geordi, the black engineer, is now basically, you know, he he has a, a prejudice against all robots, including Data, because of the Borg, because of their, their harsh treatment at the hands of the Borg. You know, you've got, you know, he's not quite smiley from the Mirror Universe, but, I mean the alternate O'Brien is not too far from that. You know, Wesley kind of like Carl, you know, Wesley is kind of like grown up like Carl where he's, you know, uh, you know, even his mother is like, Oh, you you know, you're not as frivolous as my son, you know? And he's kind of like, well, I've had to, you know, Make hard decisions and 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 put all that stuff aside. Like we're fighting for our lives and everything. And I, so there's some interesting aspects. Like I think I think I like that alternate Wesley a lot. You know, Riker, the alternate Riker obviously lost his Troy, so he's trying to mac on Troy. And like you know, there, there, there's a lot of cool aspects to this. So it's it's interesting. I think once you once you catch yourself up to speed and understand all the rules you know there's there's a lot of interesting aspects of this i i think uh, in my initial read i was a little confused i i don't think i understood right away that the enter because I, I was like oh wait so the battle Bid bridge enterprise that's messed up is from the alternate reality, and then this nice Enterprise that's in shape is our Enterprise. But I, I think in reading the the first couple issues, I understood how like they they transported them over to their ship, and then they transported Shelby and and Wesley and and alternate O'Brien to the real Enterprise. Like, and then then it all kind of came pretty crystal clear. But but since I was missing some of those beats, I think. I was a little blind on that. I I did find it funny that, uh, you know, it's like they were trying to recapture the, I guess, what had happened in the best of both worlds. But then, of course, since it's an alternate universe and because it's, you know, a story and it needs to have kind of, you know, uh, roadblocks along the way, it can't be that easy as they just, you know, walk through the same story again. You know, they, they they basically, it's like, oh, they thought Locutus was in one place, but he's actually in San Francisco. You know, that was one of the roadblocks or like they think they know what the, the code word is. You know, the, the simple, you know, i guess non password protected phrase to turn the board asleep for a minute or whatever you know oh use the code word sleep but then sleep doesn't work so then you know eventually they stumble upon eat and that kind of serves the same purpose so it's like they, you know i, I think the story is pretty well written i i was pretty engaged reading it the whole time and i think again you know i am going to pilfer from you again justin but you know this is the borg so you know you have my attention i mean it's it's pretty it's pretty interesting and 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 then and then to top it all off like Riker in charge too so i think you doubly you know it's like the alternate Riker, and he's a little he's a little on the edge you know he's a little shady so it's like i you know and they've had to do some harsh things so it's like i i kind of was on board with that like i almost do they ever revisit this reality ever again
1: i don't think so but like i said i've not read this whole volume so it's possible but i don't think so
0: okay I mean, you know, I'd I'd be curious just to see like what if there's anything else they could do with those those alternate versions of the characters and stuff. But yeah, I, I enjoyed this a great deal.
1: What about you, Mike?
0: Well,
2: like, I, obviously, this is the first time I read this, too, and, like, you know, I, I instantly, you know, caught on that, oh, we're jumping into, like, the end or the conclusion of a, like, long-running storyline, and I did not, as Derek did, go back and read the rest of it, but, I mean, you know, I'm a longtime comics fan, so, I mean, I picked up a lot of stuff really fast, and, yeah, I, I kind of, like, you know, it's it's the comic tie-in to a popular TV show, so it's like, even if the cliffhanger last issue was like, who died, Regular Wharf or Alternate Disposable <laughs> Wharf? Like, I mean, who's going to believe that Regular Wharf died, basically? So, like, yeah, I mean, but, yeah, no, the character moments were cool. Like, I, I did like all the interaction between, you know, the alternate versions of characters and seeing how they all, like, existed in... After, yeah, like, you know, Picard becoming Locutus, like Derek said, is seemingly the fracture point for a lot of alternate universes, it seems like. So it was something I was familiar with. And, you know, it kind of reminded me of, you know, the episode where Worf keeps jumping through different timelines and he finds that enterprise where Riker's the captain and stuff. And but this 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 Riker was clearly, you know, the Borg. Well, it's like it's an in-between point. It's like the Borg like clearly did a lot of bad shit in their reality but they're not as desperate as like unkempt riker from that episode or yeah. he's like we won't go back like you
1: know, <laughs> the <"To> burger everywhere
2: <laughs> yeah so like this is this this is badass like nick fury riker or whatever <laughs> not like you know completely unhinged like riker so but no like i enjoyed it like i i I thought it was like ending and then they did that whole thing with the o'brien switch and i was like oh there's a whole nother like little subplot here so that was kind of cool and then yeah like and then like it didn't turn into something like unseemly where you know o'brien was the alternate o'brien was just kind of like look i just wanted to see my wife and kid again and now i'll like leave quietly or whatever so like like i thought that was good and Yeah, like I I enjoyed this. Like, uh, I'm sure, like, you know, if you were reading this month to month, it it was like a very, you know, great supplement to the TV show and like something that would be really compelling to read month to month.
0: Miles O'Brien and uh, Hank McCoy Beast need to start a support group for getting, like, spirited away by their alternate, you counterparts or whatever.
2: Uh huh. At at first, I almost thought that O'Brien had killed Shelby, too, because, like, you know, when. But like he just stuns her and they throw her in the brig. But like when he after he blasts her, there's like a big thing of smoke coming out of her back. And I was like, holy crap! Like did you just kill her? Like like what the hell? Like but and then yeah, alternate Wesley seemed to be a lot more together than like our Wesley.
0: So you yeah, know, just a just a little Borg invasion, a little less praying to God and <laughs> Wesley's on. He has board. a new shoulder pad. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So what? What about you, Justin? Like, because I, I know you said you you found this the the issue forty seven in Walden Books. Like, did did you manage to get all of these at Walden Books? Or
1: yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, they they had a pretty good Marvel and DC selection. They didn't have every book, but they had a very good selection. But they had just about every issue of like the original and T and G series from DC, and then when they switched over, you know, like, when Marvel got the license, like, it was really hard for me to collect that. Like, I didn't have a lot of those Marvel books. Like, it was really scattered, because, like, I I was able to find, like, the Star Trek Unlimited series pretty easily, but then, like, you know, the DS9, Voyager Academy, and then the uh, Captain Pike comics, like, those were kind of, like, Really scattered and kind of hard for me to get. Like I never had every issue of all those. Like I, I would just have like a smattering. Like I'm like, okay, well I've got like the first four issues of Pike and then like you know issues like eight, nine, and twelve or something. And then DS nine, it would be really scattered and I just never filled in all the gaps.
0: Yeah, I I feel like most of those. I mean, I I did get a lot of those, but I think I I bought them exclusively in like comic specialty shops and stuff. And I think eventually because. Of how I felt about like the art teams, I think the one book I consistently kept getting was the Starfleet Academy because I really liked the the art team on it. But then some of the other books, I was like some some of them I bought, but I you know I I know I I'm just I'm just not a fan of Tom Grindberg. So like that Deep Space Nine book, I think was like the first one that was like off my poll list. I think, mm. and then some of the other ones I followed for maybe a few more months. But the one I think I stuck with the most was. The Starfleet Academy.
1: Yeah, I remember you said that when we were at HeroesCon because I had that book. We never did find Greinberg actually, and then
0: yeah, you were like yeah. you
1: kind of said something similar, and I was just like, "What? Like what's wrong with Greinberg? I was like, "Come on, like tell me."
0: No, I mean, I I don't I don't know. Like it it, I think he's like a Neil Adams disciple, but That's like you said at the time, but, yeah. but like but like I feel like. I feel like it's like getting off brand products or something, you know, it's like, it's like, it's like, you know, I wanted a Twinkie, not a Twonky, you know what I mean? Like, like, I don't know what it is. Like, that's what, that's what I feel like. I just, I'm just like, wait, this is not right. Like this feels wrong. Like, I don't, it's just, I don't know. Yeah. I just, I just, I guess I just never been into it. It's funny too. Cause like some stuff, like I feel like people have disciples and it's like, okay, like Bart Sears is, who he is, right? But like Adam Andy Smith, like I've never been like, oh man, Andy Smith, like that's not as good as Bart Sears or whatever. Like I mean, they to me, I'm like, oh well, it, it kind of, you know, he he he. Mirrors his mentor, and I've enjoyed the work. But for some reason, I just—I don't know what it is. Like I just never—I, you know, I think the stuff, whether it's like his run on Silver Surfer or or the Deep J Stein book or whatever, or even I—I I think I think the thing that if I was going to bring something for him to sign, like I, I think the thing that I most thought I—I I, I was not cognizant of the the quote unquote twonky factor. You know, <laughs> there's a Batman graphic novel. I think it's um. Birth of the Demon? Maybe no. That was that was Norm Brayfold. I don't know. There's some there's some Batman graphic novel that he did. Maybe it was like it wasn't Son of the Demon. It was like I don't know. Some something one of those things. There was there's one of those Batman graphic novels, and I mean it looks it looks a lot like it's painted. You know, like where so it's like I, maybe that takes some of the the Twunky factor edge off of it or whatever. <laughs> but it's like, it's like, that's, that's one of those things where maybe I'd look at that and go, Oh, I, I remember not being cognizant of that and kind of enjoying it. But I think, I think I was always kind of like, I, I, I think part of it too was I was a long time silver surfer reader. And then going from like, you know, Ron Limb to like, you know, Ronlin breakdowns and a bunch of shitty art for a while. And then, and then it's like, guess what? Grindberg. And I was like, that's literally like, I love Silver Surfer, but that was like when I stopped buying it on a monthly basis because I was like, I don't, I don't like this. Like, and I don't know, you know, maybe I can look at it now and blame the inker or whatever it was. But I, I, I think that was always a major turn off to me as far as that goes.
1: Batman, Bride of the Demon.
0: What, what do you guys, I guess speaking of art, like, like, what did you guys think of, I, I know we talked a little about, you know, Pablo Marcos, but like, what do you think about like the, the art in, in this issue? Like specifically, like, I guess Jason Palmer is the one who did those painted covers. And then, and then Peter Krauss is the one that did the pencils on the, the, these interior books. I mean, I, I have some thoughts, but I'm, I'm curious what you guys think of the art in general on the, the next generation comic.
1: I think it's really solid, like especially some of the space battle sequences. You know, like I said in this the previous Star Trek comics episode, like sometimes artists have a difficult time pulling off characters and spaceship. But I think he does a really good job with both. Like sometimes you'll find a panel where you're like, oh, that doesn't really look so much like O'Brien from this angle. But I think for the most part, like he's really solid.
2: Yeah. I think, like I said, like I commented on the first issue where I was kind of like, like everyone was kind of drawn with superhero proportions. But I think by issue 50, everyone like they knew, you know, what everyone should look like, what their builds were and how they should like, you know, look and act and like make facial expressions. So, like, I, you know, I liked that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like even uh, Chief Argyle, like he's definitely uh, pudgy, just like he was in his couple of uh, TNG appearances on the show. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I, I think, I think my thoughts on it are echo some things that you guys are saying. Like I think Krauss is technically accurate and competent. Like, like I, I agree with what you're saying as far as like, does he maintain the accuracy of, like, does a Borg cube look like a Borg cube? Yes, it does. Does does the Enterprise D look like the Enterprise D when it separates the battle bridge? You know, does the bridge look like it should? Like, all those things are affirmative. And he does a good job of distinguishing, I think, the the alternate universe folks from from the primary universe folks, like even their uniforms are a little different with the little badge by the belt at the bottom and the little kind of baggy slacks and things like that. And then the little shoulder pads that kind of, you know, th- those are little key identifiers that you're like, okay, you know, this is not the same, you know, Worf or Geordie. Jordy has a little, you know, goatee, kind of like the Mary. You know, they they do good little identifiers to, to help you distinguish between the the primary universe and the alternate universe. The, the only thing I, I and, and I think this is indicative, I, I guess if you're going to say like both books have shortcomings, it's like they're, they have the antithesis of shortcomings. Cause I think, I think your, your comments about the, the miniseries that we read is, you know, it's too much like a superhero comic, you know, there's the superhero proportions and everything. But I think within that, like, the the thing that's maybe for me missing from from this issue is the thing that that has is there's a sense of dynamism, like, like the, you know, lunging and and action and, you know, things that make a comic book a comic, whereas, you know, I think the, the common... Maybe criticism of something like this is you can technically get a likeness right, but does the figure look, you know, in action? Does it look in motion? Does it look human? I think in some cases he succeeds, but in other cases I can see why you know given the high price point of the next generation comic i mean i think at the time these were regularly like a buck 75 so th- you know since it's a double sized issue it makes sense that it was 350 right but still a buck 75 for one comic even if it's a you know sort of deluxe you know nice paper issue is still kind of you know expensive for, for those times and then and then the notion that like okay well you know yeah, there's some things that go down in it, but I mean, I, I think I don't know. To me, there's there's other aspects where things could look more dynamic and less tech. There must be a balance. Like like obviously, you could you could have tons of dynamism, like Rob Liefeld but if rob liefeld drew a star trek comic it would be horribly inaccurate right like but then that that's like one extreme right which i'm not saying pablo marcos is but but i think he leans more towards the dynamism and then there's the aspect where i think this is better than say re- remember that doctor who star trek the next generation crossover yeah. we read like mm-hmm. like that where everything was like sort of still and lifeless and it's like great it looks just like Picard, but what was Picard doing? Well, this was a photo still where he was like scratching a booger, but it's supposed to be like some action shot where he's like dodging, you know, I don't know, the fucking board or whatever, right? But instead, it just looks like he's kind of bored, right? And I don't think that Krauss is that, you know, I don't think Krauss, I'm just pointing out two different extremes, and I think these lie somewhere in between, but I think Krauss is leaning more towards the assimilation. Squared thing, and then I think Pablo Marcos is leaning more towards the you know extreme, like Rob Liefeld type. Th- you know what I mean? Like, like I think I think they're both pointing. They, they lean a little closer towards one extreme than the other. And and I'm I guess I'm just pointing that out because you know we're we're podcasting, we're we're looking at things critically, and 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 that's just what I noticed. You know where it's like I can see myself at a young age kind of being like, well. This next generation comic is not that dynamic, which probably explains that and the the high price point would explain to me why you know it's kind of like what you said you you haven't read every single one of these issues, and the main your main attraction was the cover looked really cool and it was dealing with the Borg and alternate universes and it's like once I figured that out with this, I was like on board for it, but I think that wasn't something that ever caught my eye, so I didn't know about it until you you brought it to my attention basically. But yeah, I, I really like this, and if if there was more in this universe, I would I would be curious to check it out.
2: Yeah, like again, I'm I'm not gonna be like seeking it out, I guess, but I am like you know,
0: I wouldn't say no to reading more of it. All right, well, I I think unless anybody else has any other final comments, we're gonna wrap up this episode of Comics Motherfucker. Do you read them? So if you have any comments, questions, or concerns, if you want to save Mike, Justin, and myself from being assimilated, you can email us at fanholespodcast at gmail.com. We are on all kinds of social media, probably being assimilated. We're on Stitcher Radio. You can stream us there. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Play and Spotify. We appreciate all the likes, feedback, shares, hearts, retweets, and everything that we receive on social media platforms like Twitter, t- Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, Facebook, and in I guess. Uh, we have all kinds of spinoff shows. We've got other shows in addition to Comics Motherfucker, Do You Read Them? You can check the backlog of episodes over on the podcast.blogspot.com. And we've got uh, Mobile Suit Mondays, Toku Thursdays, Transformers Tuesdays, Sentai Saturdays. We've got the Fanholes podcast proper. We've got Justice Not Entirely Dissimilar to Lightning, which is a Thunderbolts podcast. We've got Big in Japan, where we talk about anime. So we've got all those other shows that you can check out if you're interested. And then, of course, the backlog of uh, these comic episodes. And, yeah, so we hope you consider checking those out. And until the next time, this is Derek, Derek W.C., make it Prano, signing off.
2: This is Mike and I'm going to get in a fist fight with you Q. Let me rip my shirt a
0: little.
1: And this is Justin Sunny
2: Thought Kirk, I thought I, uh, Kirk, I thought Picard was going to, like, rip his shirt open like Kirk or something and, like, fight Q, like, right there on the
0: bridge.
1: Stop zapping me with
0: your groovy waves, Q.
1: Derek, Derek did you read this little blurb? It says, next issue, and it says, TNG 51 is Peter Krause's swan song because he's going over to pencil the Metropolis miniseries. The
0: Metropolis.
1: That's what it says. I don't think I ever read that, but I don't know. I mean, I
0: I know what world of Metropolis is. I don't know what the...
1: It's like the last page of the scan. It says, next issue, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Metropolis miniseries, which is going to win all kinds of awards. (laughs) Did it? I don't know. I'm I'm still questioning if it's the one I'm thinking of or not. Let me see. Peter did it though. Did it? Sometimes I'm like, you know, like sometimes you see ads for stuff and shit didn't even come out. So yeah. Let's see.
1: I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Mike. If. If I knew like before I picked this, you were going to be on board, I wouldn't have pulled a Tony and picked like the last part of a big story. <laughs> no, that's
2: okay. I'm, t- I'm <laughs> totally fine with that. Like I, I, I caught that on.
1: That when Tony does that. Like this is part 12 of 34. I'm like, yeah. Come on. Man. Wait, uh, so,
0: okay. so, so it was, it was Metropolis special crimes unit miniseries that he went and did.
1: Mm. Yeah, so like... it was
0: like the Maggie Sawyer, Dan Turpin thing or whatever.
1: I don't think I ever read that, but <clears throat> it's like yeah, when but there's of, a crime
2: part... in Metropolis. There's a very specific set of rules we follow. We take <laughs> but... note of it, and then we call Superman, and he solves it in like five <laughs>
0: <minutes>. <laughs> Yeah, part of me is like, that doesn't count. That's not a. That's not a Metropolis. That's a special crime gym.